things. First, we want to talk about how did Jesus interact with tradition? How did he address the cultural norms, the social groups, the dividers of the day? And we're going to dig into a little historical context. This is what you get for a few recent grads. Um, but we want to dig into the historical context because, believe it or not, sometimes it can be hard to fully understand everything that happened in the magnitude of what was going on 2,000 years ago. Then, of course, we want to talk about why would Jesus break tradition? When I read this story and I dig into the historical context, I realize some big things are happening. Why would Jesus do that? I have a hunch that oftentimes in the Gospels, Jesus has a pretty good reason for the things that he does. He's not just doing it for the heck of it. And then lastly, we want to talk about, okay, if Jesus did these things, what can we learn today? What can we take from his example as we try to understand what it means to live out faith today? Don't think we're going to give any answers or silver bullets, uh, but we really want to see what we can learn. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into scripture. Father, I thank you that we know you are with us this morning. Pray that you uh, give Greg and I uh, insight into your word, um, that the meditations of our hearts would be meaningful to this community this morning. Pray that you help Greg and I in this congregation further understand what it means to follow your example. In your precious name, amen. Uh, so your first test of the morning, our scripture reading is rather long. Russ and Kevin are usually pretty easy on you. We got about 27 verses. Uh, Russ made the coffee really strong, so after this, if you're feeling tired, you can get some of that. But uh, we think it's important to see this whole scripture text. So, starting in verse 1. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons in his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. 
When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? So that first question uh, from, the, from the previous slide was kind of the three points, that question of how did Jesus break tradition? So we're going to talk about first. And at, at first glance, um, this seems like a normal enough section of the gospel, right? Jesus says some inspirational things. People come listen to him. His disciples are confused, yada, yada, yada. But we want to talk specifically about kind of the underlying tensions of what's going on here, some of the background. So Jesus and his disciples, as we heard, were headed from Jerusalem to Galilee. Now, the southern part of kind of modern-day Israel-Palestine, that's where they would have been coming from. And the northern part of modern-day Israel-Palestine, that's where they would have been headed to, right? Smack dab in the middle is Samaria. Now, Jews and Samaritans do not get along. More on, on why in a moment. But because of this animosity, Jews often walked all the way around Samaria. Now, picture this. If you're in Sacramento and you are trying to get to Seattle, essentially what they were doing is they were going completely around the state of Oregon, not going through on I-5 to get to Seattle. This was kind of the, the process that Jews would often go through because the animosity with Samaritans was so strong. So Jesus, a Jewish rabbi with Jewish disciples, knew all this. And still, he ignored the pattern of the day and walked directly through the heart of Samaria. This was a pretty big deal. So fast forward a little bit. Jesus and his disciples get to this well. And the disciples take off to buy food. And a Samaritan woman walks up to the well. Jesus starts talking to her. We see this and we're like, okay. So he starts a conversation like, whatever, what's the big deal? But... Let's take a quick look at the history between Samaritans and Jews to understand why this actually was a huge deal. So backtrack 700 years. 722 BC, the northern part of Israel was conquered by a country called Assyria. Okay, this is a country directly to the east of Israel. Most of the Israelites were deported to Assyria. And Assyria kind of brought their own citizens to live in the northern part of Israel. For those Israelites that were left over in Israel, pretty soon they married and um, blended religions with the new Assyrian captors. Now the Jews in the southern part of Israel that didn't get captured looked at this and thought, this is an abomination, this is insane, you're blending religions, you're blending ethnicities, and they kind of saw these people now called Samaritans as racial half-breeds um, and not true followers of Yahweh. So the animosity was thick. Um, over time, the Samaritans developed their own version of the Jewish faith. They only used the first five books of the Old Testament, and they worshipped at a different temple, not the one in Jerusalem. And from the 700s all the way up till the day of Jesus, this animosity only grew as various acts of political maneuvering and religious violence just built and built and built the hate between these two groups. Okay, so now with that in mind, fast forward to the time of Jesus. These two groups of people hated each other so deeply that Jews would mostly completely avoid this territory, avoid talking to Samaritans, really avoid any contact whatsoever. And yet here we have Jesus in the middle of Samaria talking to this Samaritan woman. So of course it has to get worse, right? So it's interesting in the story, it notes that Jesus met this woman at the well around noon. So imagine Palestine, 
middle of the summer, it is scorching hot. This is like the hottest day you can imagine in Spokane, and you don't have air conditioning, you don't have a car, and you're walking, again, through Samaria, so through Central Oregon. So Jesus comes and he's, he, uh, <laughs> um, and so Jesus comes to this well and he asks this woman for a drink. Well, a couple of things that we would learn from this. One, it would be very abnormal for a woman to be at the well during the middle of the day by herself. So typically, because it's so hot, wouldn't take me long to figure this out, I hope, um, but I would probably get up early and go early when it's cooler out to get water, or I'd go in the evening when it's cooler. And this is typically what was done. It was also typically done in groups. Women would go in groups, their safety in numbers. So what we learn here, and we see this in the story when he asks about her husbands, um, but there's a suggestion here that this would have been some sort of outcast. She would have been on the margins. The fact that she had to go by herself in the heat of the day says that she was not someone that was welcome with the typical crowd in the mornings. The other thing we know is that in Jewish tradition, um, Jesus, as a Jew, would not have gone and talked to a woman that he did not know, let alone a Samaritan woman. So in the teachings of the Mishnah, which is kind of a, uh, interpreting the law for Jews of how to live, um, it really was strictly forbidden. They didn't want any sort of chance that anyone could talk about, oh, did you see this person talking to a woman? Uh, growing up, I heard this phrase, being above reproach. Um, my dad said that to me a lot, and there was kind of this idea of, hey, don't do anything that's going to make you draw questions about your character, right? I think that starts to get at this, but this is even bigger. There really would be no precedent for Jesus to go and talk to a woman during the day. We also know that the fact that he simply asked for a drink with Jewish cleanliness laws, this would have been an unclean vessel. So Jesus is breaking every single rule in doing this. So quick recap, right? So first, we find Jesus is going through Samaria. This one kind of makes sense to me. I'm a Huskies fan. The ducks are in Oregon. You just say, not worth it. I'll just go around, right? <laughs> so he doesn't want to go through Samaria, and they choose to go through. Secondly, not only does he go through there, but he decides to talk to a Samaritan. 800 years of history saying, you don't do this, right? And not just talk to them, but ask for a drink that would have been unclean. And lastly, he asks a woman by herself at the well at noon. We know that this is a big deal because that last verse, it says the disciples come back and they're surprised, right? They're kind of like, oh, this is interesting, right? I think the NIV kind of softens that a little bit, this word surprise. Uh, the Greek word is actually thaumaza, which means to marvel or to wonder. And I think that captures it a little bit better. They would have come back and they would have seen this and been like, this isn't possible. It's not like they were like, hmm, that's interesting, let's go. They would have come back and just been absolutely baffled that Jesus would be in Samaria talking to a Samaritan woman and asking her for a drink. So the next question we want to approach is, so we've seen kind of the ways how tradition was broken. Now let's ask the question why. Because typically Jesus has reasons for why he does this stuff, right? I mean, maybe Jesus is just being pragmatic. Maybe he went through Samaria because it was shorter. And he finds himself at a well and he's thirsty and hungry in the middle of the day. And he says, you know what, whatever, I'm just going to ask this lady for a drink. I mean, it's possible. But what we see across the Gospels is that most of the time when Jesus breaks the rules, there's a teaching point coming. There's something that's coming immediately after, and there's a reason that he did it. And we think that that's the case here. As the story progresses, it becomes clear that this woman, a Samaritan, becomes an integral part of the mission of Jesus. Not just a bystander that happened to be at the right place, right time. I mean, there's a real sense as you read through this that Jesus had an explicit purpose for his actions 
and the woman was selected specifically to further advance a kingdom. We can see by the end of the passage that the Samaritan woman, and if you read on just a little bit later, her peers from the town, and the disciples all have a wider view of the kingdom, a more broad, more inclusive view of what it means to be a part of the kingdom. But as Jesus and the woman progress through their conversation, we see it takes a little bit of time to get there. And actually, in their conversation, we see two things pretty consistently. First, she doesn't really get it. Initially, she's confused. She thinks that Jesus and her are talking about literal water that is going to get her out of doing a daily chore. She's actually kind of stoked about that. Um, it isn't until a little bit later when Jesus shows off his spiritual prophecy skills and talks about her husband that she realizes that, oh, he's maybe talking about something a little bit bigger than that. The second thing that we see is that the woman consistently points out the differences between her and Jesus. Once she understands the shift from literal water to more of a spiritual process, she immediately feels this tension. How could I possibly have a spiritual conversation with a Jew? We do everything so differently. There's this big gap between us. Have you ever experienced this? You're talking with someone, and the moment religion or politics or your favorite sports teams come up, you feel compelled to point out the differences between you. Like, you have to acknowledge the elephant in the room. As if to say, like, yeah, I mean, I know we both love football, right? But the Seahawks' offense is so much more potent than the 49ers. And you just have to say you feel compelled, right? Or maybe if you're talking about politics, like, yeah, we both know that immigration needs to be reformed, but we vary greatly on what that looks like. Or if you're talking about church, yeah, baptism, it's essential. But I believe in sprinkling, and you would like a full immersion process. (laughs) Sprinkling sounds kind of funny, like it's kind of a weird word. (laughs) Uh, So the Samaritan woman floats one of these type of statements here. She points out that Jews and Samaritans have drastically different forms of worship. Jews insist that worship must be done in the temple in Jerusalem, and Samaritans worship on Mount Gerizim. It was one of these things that divided the two groups, like we talked about earlier. I mean, the woman can't get past their differences. It's the first huge hurdle for her, and I think this is where it starts to get really good. So the woman is just completely stuck in these differences. She has these social groups, this tradition. She's like, we, we can't get past this. She keeps bringing it up. And Jesus just kind of goes classic Jesus on us, right? So she's trying to say, hey, it's black and white. And he just blows the whole thing up. So he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. The language that Jesus uses here is really interesting. A time is coming and has now come. On one hand, what Jesus is doing is trying to pull this woman forward into a kingdom reality. A kingdom reality that does not conform to her earthly conceptions of social groups, traditions, and worship practices. At the same time, he's doing something even more profound. Jesus isn't just pointing to some far-off future and saying, hey, someday won't this be beautiful when we can get along. He's trying to help her see the reality that is now here in the life of Jesus. It's not just something way off in the distance. It is a reality that you can experience right now through Jesus Christ. As he says, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Like Greg said, Greg said he's, she's slowly understanding what's going on, right? 
I have to imagine maybe at this point things start clicking in a little bit. She's thinking back to the like living water and she's like, huh, I wonder if he wasn't just talking about water back there. That probably sounded a little silly, right? Uh, in my marriage with Katie, often we'll be talking about stuff and I'm a little slow. And so oftentimes in the conversation I'm like, are we talking about dishes anymore? Or is something better going on, right? So I, I can resonate with this, but she's slowly trying to figure out what is going on here. That all of this history she has to wade through. Jesus repeatedly refuses to enter into the debate between Jews and Samaritans. Because he knows that her earthly nature of thinking just isn't going to do it. He's trying to bring her into thinking in a way of the kingdom. Kingdom reality isn't just Jews or Samaritans, Jerusalem or Gerizim. Rather, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What I see in this is that the kingdom reality that Jesus is ushering in is one of radical inclusivity. Where all of the barriers, all of the social groups, all of these traditions and history are revealed for what they really are. It's a water that will never satisfy, a water that will never bring the true happiness, redemption, healing, or truth that we all need. Reflecting back, I think that's what Jesus is talking about with living water, right? We hear this idea of eternal life, but I think simply, in many ways, he was just saying, hey, all of these things that you think are going to satisfy, all of these husbands, all of this uh, history, these specific worship practices, they're never going to really satisfy what you need. Jesus is the answer, and he offers something so much greater. Something really fascinating happens here. We didn't finish the story, but Jesus is very clear that he does not want this point to fall on deaf ears. He doesn't want this to just kind of go in one ear and be like, oh, that was interesting, and fall away. So what does he do next? Perhaps one of the most profound pieces of this is he says, I am the Messiah. She's starting to get it. Oh, yeah, this Messiah, he's going to come, and he's going to explain it to us. And he's like, no, 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 no. I am he. This is what it is. We find then later in the story, not only does he reveal himself as the Messiah to the Samaritan woman, which is profound in the sense that throughout the Gospel of John especially, rarely, if ever, does Jesus reveal himself as a Messiah to the Jews. Rarely does he say, I am the Messiah, to his very people. It's to the Samaritan woman. And we find that through the Samaritan woman, many will come to believe. It says in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him, in Jesus Christ, because of the woman's testimony. Not only are Samaritans welcomed into this radically inclusive kingdom, but Christ is using this Samaritan woman as an integral part of his mission to spread the gospel. So the second question we asked, why did Jesus break tradition so consistently and so intentionally, is what Chris was just referring to, for the sake of radical inclusivity. The kingdom of God is radically inclusive. Everybody is, everyone is invited, and the kingdom human constructs fall apart. Jesus didn't care that he was speaking with an unrelated woman. He didn't care that she was a Samaritan. He pulled her into the reality of God's kingdom and then invited all of the Samaritans into this reality as well. This would have been absolutely absurd to Jews, but Jesus didn't care. Now, this feels really good, right? It's kind of a romantic notion. But practically, I mean, it's really hard to do. Jesus had to hold a posture that the inclusiveness of the kingdom was far more important than the cultural dividers between him and the Samaritans. Fast forward this into our modern context. Now, whether we want to admit it or not, I think everybody kind of has their list or their threshold, right? Like, 
yeah, I mean, I know Jesus is for everyone, except for maybe like child molesters and rapists. Or, yeah, I'm, you're welcome into our church, into our small group, but unless you're going to vote for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, right? We kind of have these thresholds, right, these lists. We tend to make these dividers more significant than the kingdom. Now, at this point, maybe you're thinking like, well, yeah, I mean, sure, Greg and Chris, like, that sounds nice. But the reason I draw the line for whoever you draw the line for is because they, they really just don't get it. Like, they just don't get it. I mean, you know, those crazy liberal progressives, those hyper-conservative right-wingers, those Black Lives Matter activists, those All Lives Matter activists, they, they just don't get it. You know, members of the LGBT community, the one-man, one-woman crowd, they just, they don't understand. I know you're saying Jesus was inclusive, but they've excluded themselves because they think X, or they do Y. There's that threshold we have, right? I want you to consider something. The story that we just talked about, the story that we just read, I think that Jesus is overcoming a cultural divide much greater than anything we experience now. And let's reference back to it just just a minute. This started in 700 BC. This conflict is 800 years old. I mean, our country isn't remotely close to 800 years old. 800 years old. And in addition to that, it was a racial conflict. It was a gender conflict. It was a sexual behavior conflict. And it was a religious conflict, all wrapped into one. And still, Jesus prioritized the radical nature of the kingdom of God over all of the things that divided him and this woman. I need to take note. I think we need to take note. Currently in our culture, we hear most about the things that divide us. My natural inclination is to bristle and get defensive when I hear an attack on my opinion or somebody that spouts something different. I don't think that's the posture that Jesus is calling us to. We see in this story that Jesus wants us to drink the living water and step into the kingdom of God. He's willing to cut through all of the stuff that divides us for the sake of the kingdom. Now, how do you do it? Because, again, practically some of this stuff seems really big, and so how do you step into it, right? Well, when we look at his example in this specific story, he didn't do anything huge or have an event or do something crazy, right? He just, he just talked to the Samaritan woman. He just had a conversation. And over the course of their conversation, he was able to show that he cared far more about her being a part of the kingdom, being a part of what he was doing, than the things that divided them. And eventually, without his posture being defensive, without his posture being aggressive, the woman started to see too. To the point where she brought her other Samaritan friends to come hear what Jesus was saying. I wonder what would happen if we, in our conversations with people that held different opinions than us, held this posture. If we first remembered that the kingdom is radically inclusive and that everyone is invited. I wonder how we would approach these conversations if we first remembered that the God of the universe prioritized the kingdom over social constructs. How would we behave in conversations with others? How would we perceive those who are different than us? We hope both for ourselves and for the church at large that this perspective would change things quite a bit. We know that this can be hard. 
I know it's hard for me, but we want to leave you with two specific things that I think this story reveals that we can keep in the back of our heads when we decide to engage in conversation with people that are maybe across the dividing line. One thing that I think Jesus is a great example of in this story is that there is no specific entry point into the kingdom. I think for me, I often think you have to have your beliefs aligned one way. You need to think a way. You need to be doing something. Jesus didn't spend a lot of time correcting her or saying, hey, do these things, and then you're welcome. So we need to remember when we talk to people that there's no specific entry point into the kingdom. And number two, we need to stop being worried about labels. I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes I can think, oh, if I go talk to this person, am I going to be labeled a Trump sympathizer or a Clinton sympathizer or whatever it may be? Jesus is not really worried about labels in this passage or in Scripture. And that doesn't mean they aren't thrown on him, right? The Jews are often criticizing him for hanging out with the wrong people. He's labeled a drunk and a glutton. That doesn't mean that labels won't come. But he prioritizes the kingdom over what people are going to say about him. The mission that he wants to accomplish is more important than labels that will be thrown on him. Like Greg said, I think this starts with conversation. I'm not Jesus. I think in this, this conversation he had, obviously, was integral into his mission in Samaria. But I think in a similar way for us, we can engage in conversation with people that may think differently, look differently. We can step across those divisions, and we can remember that we need to prioritize the kingdom over some of our earthly thoughts. Let's pray as we